0: happy friday and welcome to the bulwark podcast and of course because it's friday tim miller is back on the podcast so
1: how are you doing tim
0: new york times bestselling selling
1: author <laughs> there we go i said i felt like something was missing out of that intro uh charlie i'm doing great uh at a book event in aspen last night We're, we have one in sacramento on monday st louis on Ooh, thursday of next week tough. so if you're uh if you're in sacramento or you know the show me state come on by I'm excited to do another, we're, we're going to have another great podcast where we get to talk about these manly men and their manly virtues, which I'm really excited about. I'm really excited about but that. I want to talk about the manly men and the crisis of masculinity, <laughs> but
0: you know, I was thinking that maybe we should do something different, something that we generally don't do on this podcast. In okay. fact, I don't, I don't know that we've ever done this, before. I don't believe we've ever done this before. We could do a quiz, but no, because I want something completely new. How about we start off with some good news? Hey. So the the all of the projections were from the economists, the smart people, was that the economy would add about uh, 250,000 jobs and this would be down because, of course, as we all know, we're in a recession. And then the numbers come out a little while ago and they blow away those expectations. So what do you make of this where, you know, everything sucks, everything is terrible and the economy has added, what, 520,000 jobs. The unemployment rate is down again. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, it's, it's the weirdest it's,
1: recession ever. It added it,
0: back it, all the jobs we lost during the pandemic, by the way. Just yeah, put this and, in perspective.
1: And 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 the rate is almost there as well as that yeah. is like 80% of, uh, which is like the historic high mark, uh, is 82%, I guess, for like percentage of working age population that is working. And so... Uh, you know, look, that part of the economy is good. Uh, we've talked about this a bunch on the next level, a little bit on this podcast. Is just the the big thing holding them back in the economy side is just people feel annoyed, right? There is like an annoying element to a lot of things still, I and mean, obviously inflation is still up, but but yeah. but things are, are aren't fully back to normal. They just don't feel fully back to normal, even though the numbers show they do. But I I think this is all part of that, right? Uh, You know, a a big part of this is a lot of places have still been understaffed. You know, a lot of people still needed to get redirected either to different jobs or trying to, you know, had been working from home and liked that. And and we're were trying to figure out, you know, how things were going to shake out in a we're not, I guess, post-pandemic totally, but you know, in a post-acute part of the pandemic life, and and I, so it's sh- it shouldn't be surprising that that all that's happening, um, and you know, that's just one part of like three weeks of good news, really that, that has sort of just been building up, building up slowly um, for for the American economy for for uh, the country, but but for Biden in particular. So I was thinking about that if we went back
0: and listened to our podcast from a year ago, August, uh, yeah. the month of August. Everything was pretty much about to go to shit. And I think we kind of had a sense of it, that the you know, the hot Joe summer was was gone. The, the you know, COVID was coming back. Afghanistan was about to be this massive fiasco. The inflation was rearing its head. Joe Biden was beginning that long slide in the polls. And this has been the narrative for the last year. And I I thought you're not my party was kind of interesting. I mean, the conventional wisdom um, has been and is probably still locked into the boy. Everything is is terrible for Joe Biden. Everything is going wrong. One bad story after another. And yet sort of in a kind of a stealthy way, like stuff's been happening and you kind of run through a list of legislative wins, you know, for the sake of argument, assuming they actually matter to people in normal America. You know things have gotten better, and of course, yesterday, uh, Kirsten Cinema appears to have gotten on board the Not Build Back Better Bill, <laughs> formerly known as now the Inflation Reduction Act. So that appears to be on track to be a big legislative win, right?
1: Yeah, you said stealthy. I said sneaky in the in the video, but yeah, it's been stealthy and sneaky and and slow, you know, because it hasn't been you know the big shock and awe type type stuff. But you know, gas prices have been slowly been going down. Just one other thing quickly in the economy before you get to Biden, I I I do think that there is this a kind of human expectation. Right, since I just I, I called it the acute part of the pandemic. Right, since the acute part of the pandemic was over. Since, since most people were vaccinated, right, since they were like, I'm not scared of this, really, in, in my life, then for me, the pandemic is kind of over. But like, it wasn't over for the economy. Like, this stuff takes time. You know, when you have... A, a change in the amount of people who are working downtown and working in offices and doing these kinds of jobs and, and the types of money that we're spending in different things. In foreign countries, they're still doing lockdowns, like in China, right? You know, COVID isn't over for anyone, but it really wasn't over for the economy. And, and I think that there was just this disconnect, right? And, and this expectation that things should just snap back. And when they didn't, this was accruing negatively to Biden. And so I, I think some of that is, is, is slowly but surely starting to get fixed. So that's good. Uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, is, what is just what is happening in washington and and i just you know we're so used to being like congress doesn't do anything these guys are all assholes nothing ever gets done that like you get into that habit of of saying that and of, of right. criticizing that and of and of also focusing on what are the political implications and and is this going to happen in the midterms and if you look at what's happened the last month for biden you know, it's it's sort of like well, let's put just put aside the political implications for a second because none of us have a crystal ball. None of us know exactly what's going to happen in November. But since the Roe overturn, which may or may not have been good politically, we can talk about the Kansas and that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the actual substance of things has been good. He kills Al Zar. All yeah. By the way, that was this week.
0: This we just week? remind people that hello. You know, I'm old enough to remember when you killed the head of Al Qaeda. That would have been a big story. We would have remembered for more than forty eight hours. But it would, but again, that that's a win.
1: Cuts a deal on the bipartisan chips bill on, on uh, you know, and I know that uh, Shea wrote an article for the Bulwark saying that we we may not have needed that, but I disagree with that. I think I it's, it's obviously a net good. Before we get into this, because let me just run down some of these legislative
0: victories. Great. Sahil Kapoor tweeted this out, so I'm using his tweet that if this deal passes, which looks like it will, the Inflation Reduction Act, if this deal passes, Biden will have inked wins on, and he runs down drug pricing, climate. More money for Obamacare, higher taxes on corporations, $1.9 trillion COVID rescue plan from last year, $1.2 trillion infrastructure law, new gun law, the CHIPS China bill that you mentioned, KBJ on the Supreme Court, 73 plus lower court judges confirmed, re upping the Violence Against Women Act and postal reform. Not a bad list, especially when the conventional wisdom has always been so. Joe Biden, failed president. Jimmy Carter, redo,
1: Yeah, can't do anything feckless, doesn't get anything done. And credit to to Sarah Longwell on this, you know, and because this is even – and, you know, I've been sometimes a Biden sunshine pumper. I'm not afraid to admit that, Um, you know, uh, particularly in his first year. Uh, But even I was skeptical about the notion that he was going to be able to live up to the promise – to get bipartisan bills done, right, just because of really just the nature of the Senate and the nature of the Republican Party, really, and and I thought that he had had uh, gotten out over his skis on some of his promises on this part. Sarah was always more optimistic on this, and so Sarah's sunny optimism, for once, uh, uh, come is coming through. I I think that had you gone back to November of 2020 and said that Biden will cut deals on and I guess it won't be that entire list because some of those things are going to be party party line but just list out the bipartisan things guns infrastructure uh, uh, microchips manufacturing I think people would say wow. Damn, I mean yeah, that's pretty no. good. I mean that's a, a good first two years of 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 cutting by of living up to his promise of of working in a bipartisan manner. I, you know, and what exactly did people expect like that he was going to be able to get? I think that's a clear expectation beat and most of the stuff is good. Uh, you know, I think that you can nitpick we can cuz we can talk about the economy and inflation stuff, nitpick the original COVID bill overheated, I think. Yeah. It would be my opinion. I agree. Um, you know, it's coming on the tails of the other COVID uh uh relief bill that already passed um but uh but okay put that aside everything else i mean these are things that a john mccain administration could have passed right that infrastructure the chips this reconciliation bill which you know the the spending is 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 in dealing with climate which is something that you know moderate republicans used to believe and care about that we needed to deal with climate change and that's basically it some obamacare fixes and then it's deficit reduction and it's paid for you know, not by raising any individual taxes, just raising taxes, corporations over 1 billion and not even really raising taxes because the minimum tax is below the corporate tax rate. It's 15%. The corporate tax rate is 21%. So, I just, you know, I, I think that this is these are all substantively good pieces of legislation. It is it is good that he's able to get bipartisan stuff done, and he might not be finished. I, you know, I, I think that obviously the Republicans have been throwing a, a – well, burn pits. Uh, you know, it just no, yeah, got right, passed. Right, that wasn't, right, that right, wasn't right, mentioned right. in there. No, and no, and Republicans true. threw that burn pits tantrum, which we talked about last week. They might continue to throw a tantrum on, you know, gay marriage or contraception. Uh, codification. So I'm, I'm not particularly sunny at this point on the fact that there could be 60 votes for those two things, but they could. There could. I, they could pass the House. And I think that even if those don't pass, those are winning political issues for the Democrats if they want to bring those up in the fall in the lead up to the election and see if Republicans really want to vote down codifying gay marriage and protecting rights to contraception, which are, you know, 70, 80 percent plus issues. So I I just think that taking this as a step by step process, as opposed to what was happening last year, which was FDR. We want this huge, huge, huge trillion, trillion, trillion dollar BBB, you know, once they kind of realized that was a failed, failed gambit and have now moved this more towards, okay, here are a couple of of tangible things. It's worked. And and so, uh, again, I don't know exactly, you know, we'll talk about the midterms. It's not to say that, oh, because they passed chips and the Inflation Reduction Act, Democrats are going to win in the midterms. Uh, You know, there are a lot of things that are out of their hands. But for the things that are in their hands, a good, a really good month. Like, really. Well,
0: and, and, and also, you know, speaking of these conventional wisdom narratives, the narrative has been, you know, Democrats in disarray, right? You know, Republicans sitting back and smoking right. the cigar. Uh, right now, <laughs> it looks like Democrats are pretty much in array, shockingly. <laughs> and Republicans are being as shambolic as they possibly can. And well, we're going to get to some of that in just a yeah, moment. And
1: just one example of that on the Democrats really yeah. this is You could imagine yeah. a scenario, because they were doing this, where the Talibs of the Cory bushes of the world were making problems for these bills. Yep, right? I and they they have narrow, they have a narrow house majority, you know? So when they cut these deals, like I think there was some Republican hoping that the Democratic Democrats in disarray would come back and you know, there was the one uh potential in, in cinema which, which um, we can get to, but but I, yeah, I, mean, I I think that that is like important to note that even the the more extreme parts of the Democratic caucus have been pretty much on board with this incremental approach, which by the way, just on the Tim and Charlie are always right thing was exactly what we were saying last year when when they were dealing with the BBB when when we were like just call their bluff you know call their bluff on this the De- they are not going to vote against the, the part the Biden agenda and try to hurt his presidency and the Democratic standing and that's that's what happened when they broke that apart well it, exactly and
0: you know as, as as opposed to the messaging bills that were doomed to fail that right. ended up dividing Democrats. They do seem to have belatedly figured this out. Like you put popular pieces of legislation up for a vote, and oh my goodness, uh, things happen. Okay, because because we we do not want to drift off into irrational exuberance, and because on even on a sunny day, some rain must fall. I will say that you look at this legislative record, which is uh, not trivial, not unimpressive. There have been a series of bipartisan votes on a variety of issues, which again demonstrates that we can have bipartisan issues, which I think does raise the question, Okay, you know, could Biden have gotten more wins, for example, on election reform? things like that, had they not gone for the big omnibus messaging bills that satisfy, you know, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and all of those folks out there. Because I know that there was, again, there was a widespread assumption that, well, you know, there's no way that you're going to ever get a Republican vote for any of this stuff. So why even bother? Well, now we're finding out that if you do sit down, you can get some of these votes. And that seems to be the 2022 strategy. Let's see what votes we can get, as opposed to we're just going to throw it up against the wall, and you know, Chuck Schumer will give an angry speech, and then nothing will, will happen. So this does raise some questions about some of the strategy, and and again, maybe going forward they will figure out that that we do need urgently uh, have election r- reform, but you're going to not be able to have a strict party line vote on that if you want to get something done and it is not impossible to get something done
1: yeah and i I think there are two strategic mistakes here one was was caring too much what the activists think i want to separate the activists from the base because i I just think that the democratic party base uh, obviously any or you know any amorphous group like that is going to have some crazy people in it but like oh for the most part wants the democrats to do do stuff right? I, this is a separate difference from the republican base which uh, which doesn't have a lot of actually policy desires and really just wants to like put their finger in the eye of the people they hate but the but the democratic party base does want action and, and i think that that had they been sold on on the agenda that you we just laid out from the sale kapoor Tree plus plus burn pits i think you know there would have been some people that want more always but most of the voters a preponderance of democratic voters would have been happy with that the, the problem is there, there was an overwhelming interest in what the activists who 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 purport yeah. to speak for the Democratic voters want, and they were pushing all of these things. Uh, you know, and, and it was clear. I was listening to a, a, a podcast um, from uh, some you know kind of analysis from folks that are on the left who, who are all like, "This was clear by April of last year, right? <laughs> Even if you had big eyes after the election and thought things, you know, hey, things might be turning up Democrat, and we want to, you know, get all these priorities through." Like by April, it was clear it wasn't going to happen. And so it did take him too long to, to change strategies. But uh, uh, the other thing I think is there's this irrational actor theory about the Republicans. It's like if the Republicans are going to vote for this clown like Donald Trump for president and they're all going to stick with him, then these guys are so go- far gone that they're, they're just what, you know, you can't even count on them to do anything. And like that's just. Uh, you know, that is just not right, right? I, like Republican politicians are still, to a degree, rational actors. Part of the reason why they're so cowardly mm-hmm. in the face of Trump because they're acting in their own interests with their base. And rational actors are not time and again going to keep voting against things that have 80% popularity and that are, have half, 50% popularity within the party like most of the things in the Inflation Reduction Act do, like the uh, gay marriage does, obviously, infrastructure. Show. Like they're they're just... That's just not human nature, right? And so I just think that there was this miss in assuming that because the Republicans are crazy, which they are, that they also, you know, will, will like cut off their nose to spite their face on, on all of these issues, which is just not, not how the real world works. So
0: I, I want to get to what happened in Kansas, what happened in Arizona and Michigan, what's going on in my home state of Wisconsin. By the way, Donald Trump is coming here today. I mean, he's, he will be here. Uh, we'll are you going to be about, there?
2: Um, I have, this
0: thing. I have this thing. I just, I'm, I'm <laughs> not, I'm not, not going to be able to make it. But before we do that though, let's, you know, we, we you've written and talked a lot about uh, Joe Manchin and the role that Joe Manchin has played. So now, now it's, it's Kirsten Sinema's show. Uh, she apparently did cut a deal. So it, give me your thoughts about this. I mean, you had a very interesting tweet the other day, you know, here she is the swing vote. She has this, the ultimate power now in American politics. And she decides to use it to protect the checking my notes here, the the carried interest loophole, which is cared about
1: by about 20 hedge fund. I mean, what what is that about? I, I mean, the obvious answer, mm-hmm. the obvious Razor answer that everyone says when I send these tweets because I've yeah. had to, I've sent like th- seven mm-hmm. tweets about Kristen Center because I just can't get over this. I really can't get over how I just was I just was talking about how people are rational actors. Kristen Sinema might be an exception to this. <laughs> it's hard to get inside her brain. She might just be an irrational actor. Uh, you know, people say, "Oh, it's the money." She wants to quit the Senate and get a job lobbying for BlackRock or whatever. And I don't, you know, who knows? Maybe that is what's going on in her head. But like, I, I think that Kristen Cinnamon would be in a good position to to get a lobbying job for BlackRock, no matter how she voted on the on the Inflation <sighs> Reduction Act. So I, I just, I don't know if it's that one to one, but maybe that is what's happening. I, maybe she just likes hanging out with rich bankers, and uh, and so that has gotten in her head, and she enjoys the, you know, the lifestyle of the rich and famous. I, I don't, I, I, maybe that is it, or or who knows? I, I just. Who, or she just wants to be a contrarian. I think it's possible that she just like wants to be a contrarian and just finding something to be contrarian about. And somebody got in her ear on this. Uh,
0: yeah, I just don't know what the what the explanation is because it, it, this is not an issue that's going to be top of mind for Arizona voters and and no. protecting fabulously wealthy hedge fund managers who have a tax break enjoyed by no one else just doesn't seem to be the hill to die on on the other hand maybe she does think this has some some impact on bringing venture capital to arizona or thinks this is going to or someone
1: that was really? close to her has convinced her of that i just i just yeah. seem to I mean we- you can imagine an ad she, she's going to get a democratic primary now when she's next oh, up yeah. and that's that's oh, yeah. already done okay yeah. so uh, you can imagine the ad that, that they are going to cut about this. I mean, I, Kirsten Cinema, you know, could have cut a deal that helped working Arizonans. I, you know, I, tongue in cheek, was like, "How about a free air conditioner for everybody under fifty thousand in Arizona?" I don't. know. You can imagine things that she could do that uh. would help working Arizonans, Democrats, uh, you know, people who need assistance to, to, to carve something into this bill. And she does this, and you can imagine that it's just like. Kirsten Cinema like like wanted to cut a deal for the, for the for these ultra wealthy hedge fund guys in order to make sure that they can pay a lower tax rate. Than than okay. even just so, regular Arizonans, I I, I, like, I, if I, if you make four hundred thousand dollars in Arizona, you are not middle class. Nothing wrong with you. You are now you are paying seventeen percent higher than these than these hedge fund guys. Why? Like, who? like It makes no it makes no sense on a policy front, a political front. It's just it's asinine.
0: Well, speaking of asinine, and 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 I don't disagree with your point that that you know there are a lot of of rational actors. And then there are these irrational moments. And speaking of which, uh, you know, my home state, Senator Ron Johnson, who had a really, really good week this last week. I mean, he he basically, you know, had wrapped up reelection when the Democrats decided to go with Mandela Barnes. I know you may have a different point that's of view right. on it. But I mean, you know, the, yeah, well, it's because <laughs> you're from out of town. I just um, wanted but, to put it on the record. I just oh, okay, to put but, it on the record. but he's the, the favorite. Thing, he's the favorite. So, oh, but so Johnson ha- has this thing locked down pretty much. And then he goes out and gives an interview. Suggesting that we ought to make Social Security and Medicare discretionary spending. Okay, now I'm not a political consultant, ad writer like you are, Tim, but I'm were. thinking were, but I'm thinking that that ad pretty much writes itself. You know, Ron Johnson. You know, you you may be counting on Social Security and Medicare to be there after you've paid into it. You're counting on it being there when you need it ron johnson wants it left up to politicians in washington who would have to vote on it every year wow i mean i could see that i was actually talking about this with a group of people last night by the way which included big tim miller fans and it was like everybody this is one of those things that would cut across and if you're above a certain age you go okay um you've now got my attention seriously now this will never happen i mean there's no way that they will ever do this but to Even suggest this strikes me as almost a textbook case of being politically suicidal.
1: Yeah, stupider than Trump is not really a bumper sticker that you want for yourself. But I mean, even Trump, this was Trump's innovation, right? Mm -hmm. Trump got this, right? That like people didn't want to have their social security cut. As somebody who understands money, he likes money. People don't want to lose their money. That's been promised to them. That's anything Donald Trump understands. It's that. And so he moved the Republicans away from this position that many had had some some i think in good faith were trying to come up with real ways to you know make uh uh, these last longer right the social security trust fund etc and 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 it was politically harmful but but at least policy in good faith a genuine attempt uh but then there were always other republicans who kind of wanted to just just you know be arsonists with it with any sort of government program and and Trump changed basically the party's posture on this which is like we're not going to touch this stuff this is politically unpopular this is stupid and and now and Ron Johnson now goes back to the arsonist position right it's like politically stupid policy stupid uh, uh, I it, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense and that's and and and, and it's also you know you're just wondering like I like, the answer has to be the people, you know, people just get in these these folks' ears. I've been there with politicians where, you know, you just can't control everybody a politician talks to. You're talking well, to somebody right. and then they go to an interview after that and it's on the top of mind and just like you know in the ear hole out the mouth hole and like this happens sometimes it can't be the case with cinemas, so and this is a strategic approach and anyway this is why no, but, I know but, we but, did a whole podcast yeah. loving Joe Manchin but just one more slow clap for Joe Manchin that to say what you you know the difference between what Manchin had always been doing which was politically smart and policy smart and policy clear like why he wanted it what were the incentives for the things he was asking for like that's what he was doing this whole time the cinema and johnson stuff are just like foot in mouth no no explanation i don't know what what
0: cinema's motivations are johnson i think is sincere and these are deeply felt beliefs that he would like to dismantle the quote-unquote entitlements now again you know being sincere and having a deeply held belief does not make it less politically suicidal to go into a race. So, I mean, I have been talking about the $20 million worth of opera research that Republicans are going to dump on Mandela Barnes if Democrats are sentient, which I believe they are, he said hopefully, um, you can imagine what an ad blitz telling you know senior citizens and soon-to-be senior citizens about uh, Johnson's plans to make this discretionary spending. You can imagine what that would look like, especially in an era of economic anxiety and who is more vulnerable than people who are thinking uh, I'm really counting on that uh, that money that I've paid into. Uh, so just a political disaster. Okay, let's switch gears because do you know, let's talk about a guy who clearly is all out of fucks to give. Do you know who I'm talking about? Me? No, no, no. This guy is even more than you and me. He's oh, clearly all out of fucks to give. I'm excited to hear who this is. Okay, so here is the former vice president of oh, the yes. United States, Dick Cheney, who's cut a 60 second ad for his daughter. And I think it's fair to say that the former Veep is just bringing the hot fire. Here's Dick Cheney.
2: In our nation's 246 year history, there has never been an individual who is a greater threat to our republic than Donald Trump. He tried to steal the last election, using lies and violence to keep himself in power after the voters had rejected him. He is a coward. A real man wouldn't lie to his supporters. He lost his election, and he lost big. I know it, he knows it, and deep down, I think most Republicans know it. Lynn and I are so proud of Liz for standing up for the truth, doing what's right, honoring her oath to the Constitution, when so many in our party are too scared to do so. Liz is fearless. She never backs down from a the fight. There is nothing more important she will ever do than lead the effort to make sure Donald Trump is never again near the Oval Office. And she will succeed. I am Dick Cheney. I proudly voted for my daughter. I hope you will too. I'm Liz Cheney, and I approve this message. Oh my, Wow, Tim. Okay, now that's an ad
0: for Wyoming. I don't know that that's going to help Liz Cheney win that primary, but it's a real signal to me that Dick Cheney, the whole Cheney family is just going to leave nothing on the field, right? I mean, it's like, we're if we're going down, we're
1: going down all guns, all guns blazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, for starters, I just after I, I watched <laughs> that yesterday afternoon on my phone, and then I unfortunately I'm here in Aspen for uh, a, for a book event, and I had to go to the Aspen Critical Doctors Unit for oh. a condition that was lasting oh. longer than four hours. Yeah, I just oh. I had to go do it. Like, it was <laughs> so. Right. Right. I I was just in, in another on another plane after watching that that, that ad. It's so good. Um, yeah, it's not a politically. This is an ad that you don't run if you think that you're going to win. Right. Everybody knows Liz Cheney knows she's not going to win but here here's what what the purpose that is somebody messaged me this and they're like why do you like this why are you excited about this it means that you know this isn't an ad you run to convince wyoming voters i was like that's not the game that liz cheney is playing okay like she uh, she realizes that that is a battle that is already lost and this ad is repositioning what her actual fight is and dick says in the ad very clearly that her most important battle is to prevent Donald Trump from ever getting close to the oval office again. And that is a battle she's going to win. And that's basically Dick Shane saying she's might she might lose this skirmish, you know, in the war, but the but the big battle uh, of keeping of keeping Trump away from the levers of power, that is a battle that she has been engaged in oh, You know, full throatedly, she's going to win it. And you know, if only uh, my only criticism of the ad is, I did want the she's going to follow him to the gates of hell. I did want the follow him to the gates of hell line. But besides that, uh, I think that was very clearly implied that that is the point here. That that is the point here. That is her mission. And and uh, good, good for them, right? And it it is this contrast with, and we we've gone we've done ad nauseum around and around on the Meyer thing. And I I get it, right? I, I get the strategy of. Okay, I'm gonna to vote to impeach him, and then I'm gonna go under my, you know, I'm gonna put on my turtleneck and dump my head down under there, and like try to hide and focus on things I agree with the base on, and and try to survive and pause. I get that strategy. I, I think that there's something to be said for it, but it's not nearly as satisfying. Oh as no, the Liz no. Cheney, it's completely and blazing approaches. strategy.
0: You know, go go back and uh, find people who are interested in this, that particular story. Uh, Tim Alberta did a fascinating deep dive into. Peter Meyer before the primary where, you know, talked about how he had essentially gone silent, um, had been intimidated and browbeaten into not raising the issue. And if he thought that was going to protect him and make him safer, he was, he was wrong. So uh, he, you know, has both dishonor and, and defeat, I guess, in, in all of this, but no, you're, you're right about all, and I guess, you know, you step back for a little bit of perspective and think what Dick Cheney used to represent in the conservative movement in the Republican Party. And now to realize that Dick Cheney is a pariah who would ne- who would be booed off the stage at CPAC, the same CPAC that is giving standing ovations and roaring applause to Viktor Orban, the authoritarian wannabe leader of Hungary. I mean, this, you know, maybe this seems like just too obvious, but the statement made by CPAC going to Hungary first of all earlier this year, and then featuring him as a speaker, and you know after he's given the speech against race mixing and citing books like The Camp of the Saints, which is basically you know racist pornography, it's an ex- it really is a statement about what has happened to the conservative movement and just the the utter shamelessness. Of bringing in a pro Vladimir Putin, fascist adjacent leader as as a as a rock star to an American conservative meeting, I, I just your your thoughts about it, and also the fact apparently his biggest applause. Was when he attacked same-sex marriage. I mean, what 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 is it they love most about him? Is it the racism? Is it the anti-Semitism? Or is it the anti anti-gay measures they've taken in Hungary? Apparently, the anti-gay measures yeah. were the ones that that really uh, sent a tingle up the legs of uh, all of these rad trad kids uh, at CPAC.
1: Yeah, well, it wasn't all kids. I, I watched the video. Mm-hmm. There, there are some, there are some boomers out there too. But um, leading into Orban to to get to this contrast with with Dick Cheney, really quick. You know, I read my mentions on Twitter sometimes, which is uh, a dangerous thing to do. Bad, um, bad, yeah, bad. bad so uh, oftentimes I don't, but sometimes I do. I like to hear what what folks have to say. And Wendy, who might be a stand-in for some of the listeners who are who are liberal, hated Dick Cheney, right? Mm-hmm. And she, and so she writes this. She says, "When you when you see people you previously saw as black and white bad guys make incredible sacrifices doing something honorable, it's hard for decent people not to see them as more human and appreciate them." And and I lo- I loved that reply because I, I think that this is really kind of an important part of our moment right now as we try to navigate this pro democracy very unstable coalition of you know everybody from angela davis to bill crystal right <laughs> and like being able to like look at people mm-hmm. and recognize the humanity in people and that all of us have some darker angels and some lighter angels inside of us and that doesn't mean that there aren't bad you know people who are just bad people but i just think that that ability i, I that, that dick cheney doing this i think is really important to, to sort of demonstrate that you don't have to they call the movie vice you don't have to be vice signal all the time right and 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 like I hope, I'm hoping that Dick can kind of bring you know, at least a small percentage of people that were attracted to the Darth Vader side of Dick into the light here because the Darth Vader side of Dick is what Orban is playing into, right? If you just watch it, I went back and, and watched the speech, and it's just, it's a troll. Like, the speech is a troll, honestly. And, and it's it's part a defense of, you know, this sort of notion of, Western civilization of white people and non-race mixing and one man and one woman and three children and a nuclear family and anything against that is wrong and the globalists are bad. and they want to keep that from you. It's part of that. So there, there is it isn't completely bereft of some kind of vision, however gross it might be. Uh, but but. It's like mostly just meanness, right? is what is what is what appeals to them, right? And Orban's line of like about how he botches this Davy Crockett line about how, you know, the globalists go around the world and I come to Texas, right? is is just this sense of trying to get these people who are in the audience and who are listening on the internet to hate journalists and gays and immigrants. He goes after Syrian refugees and just, you know, this the finding the joy of hating, all of these people who are not outside of whatever they see as their cultural tribe. And like that is the, that is the appeal of Orban. And so he could do it in a lot in any different ways. And I think that like right now, the reason that it's gays is because this sort of grooming and the, you know, gender stuff in school is the hot thing that, that folks are mad about on the left, but it could, you know, had he done it, had he done it eight years ago, it would have been creeping Sharia law, right? That's the point I was making, right? It just, he's just channeling whatever, their cultural anger or or cultural concerns are at the resentments are at the moment you know i there's a risk here that i'll go down
0: a rabbit hole but okay. I, was, I was i was listening to the same speech and you know part of i think the value that we bring to this discussion is that we came from a political tradition where we understand some of the code words we understand maybe some of the background of things people are talking about but now they're so distorted so for example There was a long debate on the intellectual right about the need to preserve the Western intellectual culture, Western great books, you know, by which I think the argument was, okay, yes, we can diversify the curriculum, but let's not throw out uh, some of the great literature of the world simply because it was written by dead white guys. And this was a debate. That was about. We ought to read Goethe. You know, we ought to uh, read Cervantes. We mm-hmm. ought to uh, teach Shakespeare. It would be great. I Think there was if, a lot of Cervantes readers in the crowd there at CPAC. Well, this is my point. Is <laughs> it's gone from let's preserve the best of these intellectual traditions, which include liberal democracy. You know, the the growth of 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 liberal ideas. You know, read you know Hobbes and read Locke and read the the debate. You know, the Machiavelli. Uh, Dante, um, Karl Marx, uh, uh, you know, Hobbes—all of this, you know, was part of this intellectual tradition. So the language of "let's preserve the West and fight for the West" though then morphs into in this new world, into the West is about race. It's about white yeah. people. It's about keeping out brown Muslims. And so the language, in some ways, sounds the same, but it is fundamentally different. Yeah, you, you you follow what I'm getting at here. So I, I know where this comes from and why some conservatives will say, "No, this is what we've been talking about for some time." He's just doing something about it, versus the people go, "No, what he is doing is the antithesis of this Western liberal humanistic tradition that we thought we were talking about."
1: Yeah, and the liberals—the key word, right? I'm sure that right. there was small liberal, right? I'm sure that there were always people who held those views, who, uh, you know, had gen- had genuinely, you know, held- believed in the great book serum, and also right. uh, there were some that were, you know, uh, closet white nationalists, or maybe not so closet white nationalists, right? But the fact that the liberal part of this, right, you know, the humanistic liberal tradition part of this has just been completely stripped away. They don't even pretend in most of these groups. I guess there, were, there is a good article over by our friends at the Dispatch that there is like a tiny little group of young rad trads who, who took Talk about how masculine they are while they're eating their lavender cookies in Georgetown. Uh, who probably are reading some of the great books too, but but maybe are reading some of the great racist books alongside them. But uh, you know, there's a small intellectual, but it's tiny. Like, that's why you can't. Find, that's why there is no. You know, we have done the Claremont takeouts, but like there isn't like no real like intellectual base of Trumpism, right? Because like because people see this for how crass it is, and and you know you cannot uh, put in the same bucket you know, the Cervantes crowd and, you know, the people that love Chan- Chanel, Chanel Rion on OAN. Right. right. <laughs> like, no, so that's just, it. there's no common language there. Right. Like that. So, so obviously the Cervantes, the, the people who care about, you know, the great books element of Western culture have been, I have been isolated. So uh, anyway, th- that's uh, the the manliness side of this is just one of the things that's worth mentioning. Another line, um, uh, from Orban, uh, in the speech, uh, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but going from memory is like, I-, I want more Chuck Norrises and fewer drag Queens. And I just, we did this with Josh Hawley uh, last week. Uh, you know, we, this is part yeah. of that Dispatch article I referenced. Which is really This is yeah. Orban, yeah. Yeah, but it's just like, has Victor Orban ever taken a punch? I mean, like, he is just a doughboy waddling out on stage, getting fed lines, trying to rile up the rubes. I, I just, I, I can't. I can't with the with the faux masculinity initiative being pushed by the global nationalist like every time like, it, it's become a cliche. Like every picture, I googled the picture of all the people in the dispatch article. I mean, yeah. like none of these, none of these people would last a day in Davy Crockett's time. You know, it, like it is all just performative nonsense. And I have to correct myself, which is why I wanted to bring this up. I have to issue a correction from last Friday's podcast. I gave Josh Hawley a little bit too much credit about his manliness initiative. Actually, a uh, manly man, Josh Hawley, and his tight t-shirts and his, his fine wines. When I said that he was, he, he had moved his family into a little house on the prairie situation in missouri that is not actually true like he had even fooled me into thinking that he had done that he, he moved his family to northern virginia he doesn't even live in missouri anymore it's his sister who has a house in springfield <laughs> missouri and that is where he is registered to vote so he can still be a senator at his sister's home so like they don't even do the fake effete prairie lifestyle, right? Like they moved to fucking DC and go to Georgetown cocktail parties and talk about how people
0: need to be more manly. You know, sitting around eating lavender cookies and, you know, talking about it, we just need more muscle bound manly guys. So so the next thing, Tim, you're going to tell me that you're not going to be irradiating your testicles to make yourself more manly. Is that really what you're telling me?
1: I'm interested yeah. in I'm interested in testicle radiation, but not for not for mailing. Okay. Just, okay. So anyway,
0: the story we're talking about is <laughs> it, it is in the dispatch. The New Right Finds a Home at the Intersection of Populism and Elitism. It's it's a long but really juicy read. <laughs> it's <laughs> delicious. Okay. Uh, we haven't even talked about Alex Jones. Um he had a terrible, terrible week in court, although I have to say that I'm a little bit slightly deflated by the fact that the jury only awarded $4 million in compensatory damages to the parents of some of the children who were murdered at Sandy Hook. I think it should have been $4 billion, but the punitive damage phase is still coming. In any case, though, what a horrific week for Alex Jones to be exposed for what we have always known he was, which is just this
1: deplorable, lying, deceitful, evil asshole you don't want to get too exuberant, like you said, but no. bad things happening to bad people kind of a lot lately, kind of uh, cathart- which is it nice. Ca- it, it was cathartic, I have it's to nice. say. It's nice, and man, yeah. that video. I, my only thing that could have made the video better, where the where the prosecution lawyer reveals that the defense lawyer had sent all of Alex Jones' text <laughs> messages from his phone by accident to the uh, to the prosecution, was if I could have seen the defense lawyer's face. You know, because yeah. that guy. Boy, talk about just, I mean, what do you even do with yourself? I mean, you've you've, you've committed yourself to defending Alex Jones in the Sandy Hook trial, and now you've been revealed to being just, like, astonishingly, unbelievably incompetent (laughs) at even that task. Man, that was also delicious. A lot of deliciousness happening out there. So we'll see hopefully more damages to well, come in the punitive stage for Alex Jones and hopefully more reveals from those text messages. There was a, a well, little going juicy to be a tidbit, more. yeah, about yeah. the Roger Stone texts, like the lawyer who accessed the text kind of alluded to the cozy Roger Stone-Alex uh, Jones relationship. So, you know, hopefully a two well, birds with one stone, no pun intended, uh, uh, situation here. Well, I, I've actually written a column about this that uh, may or may not get published, uh, but I thought one JVL of the... Is, JVL is censoring you?
0: No, no, no! It's it's actually for somebody else. Believe <laughs> it, believe it or not. What strikes me was what you saw—the contrast between. Alex Jones, what he can do in his alternative reality media world, and then the very different standards in a court of law. So, for example, this guy has been lying for decades. I mean, he lies about just about every single disaster, you know, from 9-11 being an inside job to, uh, I mean, every time there's a shooting, it's a false flag. I mean, this guy is a serial liar, and and he pays no price for it. There are no real negative consequences for him. In fact, he becomes more of a rock star. Other conservative media tout him. Uh, he was embraced by Donald Trump. Do you know that Donald Trump actually called Alex Jones the Monday after he was elected president of the United States and thanked him for his role and said he would come back on his show and gave InfoWars press credentials at the White House? Roger Stone- I've lost that de- out of
1: my memory, actually.
0: Roger Stone once described Alex Jones as the most influential uh, voice on the alternative conservative media and uh, who's going to play this huge role in advancing Trumpism. So, so lying- has really been a fantastically successful business model. I mean, it has been lucrative. He made $800,000 a day. He had celebrity, he had cloud. he was a guy. And then this little man is in a courtroom and the judge has to explain to him, you know, um, you're under oath and you need to only say things that are true. And, and and simply because you you say you thought something was true is not a protection for you. <laughs> um, stands defense doesn't work. Yeah. In a court of law, we try to determine what is actually true, not what you can get away with. And you need to understand this. And so the judge's lecturing of him is an extraordinary moment. Not quite as extraordinary as when he's confronted with his perjury about his text messages and his lies. But it was one of those moments where, boy, you know, thank, where have you been, karma? I mean, we know you are this, this massive bitch, but you haven't been around for us, you know. When it, but, you know, she showed up for Alex Jones's trial. That's just, I mean, it was a, a big moment. Okay, so speaking of non cathartic moments, Carrie Lake election tonight. I have one more cathartic moment.
1: We're going to end in the darkness, which is an appropriate place to end we a podcast do, yeah. that was that was irrationally mm-hmm. exuberant at moments. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to do one more because uh, sure. it's related to Carrie Lake. One more piece of catharsis for people. So on Tuesday night, I attended a book party that was not for myself it was for my good friend Liz Smith who's been on this podcast and when I guest hosted it's called any given Tuesday people should could, should check it out if they've finished my book and do not check it out if you haven't already bought and finished my book but then but do it after it that was it that was uh, uh, Liz, Liz, Liz and I, yeah. so we Liz and I stayed up a little too late on Tuesday night in San Francisco had a couple too many pops and I, I was due on Wednesday morning to do a chat with Ross Douthat and oh, this woman, I, Rachel Beauvard from the Conservative Partnership horrendous. Institute, which was where they were plotting the coup in December. And, and Rachel is a big fan of Blake Masters, big fan. She's a, she's a populist, you know, very genuine populist, I'm sure, um, uh, Republican. And so we had to have a discussion about the Arizona primaries. And um, in this discussion, I was—I was seven a.m. Pacific. I was hungover. I was dehydrated, and I chose violence uh, in the conversation with Rachel Bovard. I chose violence, and it was—everyone uh, can decide for themselves uh, who came out the victor in the exchange. But I, I guess I just—I should just say that the New York Times editors. Had to tone me down. Like there no, were a few I, moments I, I that to... were just too devastating for for the times to even publish, and so they had to they had to tone me down. Okay, dish. What what were those two moments? Uh, well, Come on. Well, Come all on. of the cussings well, they had to cut out. So there were there were several levels. Oh, like uh, this. Like this, yeah. this is preposterous. At one point, It was initially like this is fucking preposterous. There's no fucking way you could believe this. Was the first draft of that, which they cut down to just this is preposterous. After Rachel was talking about how. Uh, in order to gain trust in our institutions, we have to be able to challenge elections, right? Like the thing that's causing us to lose trust in institutions is that the elites are blocking people from from having real analysis of what happened in our elections and letting the truth get out. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? There, been, me say, there I'm, were I'm, 90 I'm, audits of Arizona. I'm just screaming and typing on the computer
0: and uh, rage. Okay, so I am really glad to hear this because I think if any reader will pick up the chemistry between you and Rachel <laughs> Boulevard. Uh, and I, w- I was thinking, how do you not scream at this woman and, and, and ask questions like we Why talking is they- It was in a
1: Google Doc. So oh. we're both typing in a Google Doc. So Ross Google Docs. So Ross is typing and then okay. she would start typing. And I and I, I was supposed to wait for her to finish, but I would get so mad halfway through her answers that I would okay. start I would start writing like, give me a fucking break. And then the editor okay, would come see, in and take out the F word and, you know, et cetera. Okay, well, th- that's what I was expecting. I didn't, I didn't realize that you were under
0: those circumstances because I'm, I'm reading this, and <laughs> what I'm thinking is, what the fuck? Why is the fucking New York Times giving a forum to the fucking? I mean, the, who is the, this woman? I mean, oh, give you a, a you know, a, a sense of how woolly and bizarre that Trumpist world is. How it breaks your brain and. You know you're a better man than I am to be able to go yeah. through. I um, loved it. I, anybody,
1: uh, anyone please, who wants yeah. to invite me ever again to to debate these morons, I'm just happy to do it. Okay, I just, I, 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 enjoy. It. But so anyway, to transition there to carry like wait, one of the wait, things
0: before we here. make fun of her too much, Rachel Bovard is probably going to be the next future governor of secretary Arizona. Of given state. Trans- she's going to be <laughs> yeah. the Secretary of State of, sure. of a major state. <laughs> the the administration. Today. We started off so sunny and nice, and look look where we are. I mean, look what we have done to this podcast. Okay, so
1: Rachel uses like, the word bombastic. She goes. uh, Lake is as a candidate. I'm reading it now. Bombastic on the election issue. I interjected. Bombastic is quite the euphemism for completely insane. She is bombastic, but she is much worse than bombastic. I just I wanted to make sure on this podcast we pulled out Carrie Lake because it's sometimes hard, you know, when we're always in the red on the crazy meter to sometimes like differentiate the blood red from you know the light red Mm -hmm. uh you know Mm -hmm. and uh and 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 Carrie rake like is blood red and she is the top of the crazy meter and and it's extremely concerning uh you know i i do think and maybe we can get into this more next week that like the environment's getting slightly better for the democrats for the midterms but we still you know it's still a first midterm and and people get washed in uh crazier people have gotten what not 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 crazier and being as crazy as Carrie Lake, but more unlikely people have been washed in in wave years than than a Arizona Republican, right? Uh, and it's very possible that her, especially with her background in TV, that she could appeal to some of it, of voters who aren't following this stuff as closely, who know her from TV. There's a little bit of a Trumpian element to this, like Trumpian's ap- apprentice appeal. So. Uh, uh, You know, she could get washed in as the governor and, yes. and the secretary of state and her are both as crazy as anyone in the country when pushing the anti-democratic delusional 2020 lies. I mean, Donald Trump himself, according to according to him during a speech, said that that he was even shocked by how much Carrie Lake in private brings up the 2020 election to him. So like the most deranged obsessed person with 2020 is looking at Carrie Lake going, man, you're even taking this a little too far. Okay. Donald Trump. So that's where Carrie Lake is. She, she has, she's called for jailing of the people who are quote unquote responsible for the 2020 election. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she is called for jailing Fauci. Uh, she's called for droning the border, uh, uh, You know, no exceptions to to abortion. I, and she is as like delusional and as extreme as any candidate at, at, at Mastriano level, maybe more. And and who knows, in a wave year where she gets the Secretary of State Mark Fincham, who's deliberately running on a platform to decertify 2020 and to not certify 2024 if it doesn't go his way, you know, if they get in there, even if we do pass some Electoral Account Act reform, who's to say that the Arizona legislature might not... Uh, You know, we might not have a constitutional crisis where the Arizona, where she signs a bill, where the Arizona legislature determines that they get to have final say on the state's electoral votes, et cetera. You can think about that there are a lot of really bad worst case scenarios. In and none situation. of them are inconceivable. No, none of no, them. very possible. And so, you know, no as crazy and stupid as as much as we don't like Doctor Oz and DeSantis, you know what I mean. You can go down the <laughs> list. Lake is is at the is at the far edge of anti democratic extremism and danger. And if you have friends in Arizona or know people in Arizona, like th- this is this is the the tip of the spear of the fight.
0: So, so, so th- this is this is the question that we've we've raised before, but but now I think it becomes more. It feels more 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 salient. This is going to be a big Republican year or war. We've expected it to be a big Republican year, but the crazification of the party, the radicalization of the party, uh, the bizarre kinds of nominees they're putting up: uh, Herschel Walker in Georgia, swing state; Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania, swing state; the absolute you know crazy ticket all the way down in Arizona this is going to really test what our politics are about, won't it? Because these folks would be disqualified and and laughed out of, I mean... The bouncer wouldn't let them in. She was
1: the principal of my child's school. I would be pulling my child out of the school. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, like like this person, like forget governor. Or, uh, you know, if this person was a store manager and I was the general manager, <laughs> you know, I feel like we need to go a different direction. And that's how insane we're talking about. Like this person should be in a rubber room. And this is what's happening is they keep getting pushed to it. So
0: here in Wisconsin, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Trump is coming here, and he is now obsessed with pushing this vendetta against the incumbent Republican Speaker of the House. And at his rally for a candidate for governor, he's probably going to spend 20 minutes attacking this Republican legislator. And people here are looking around going, this is really not a constructive position. He's now endorsed the opponent for the speaker. The speaker's name is Robin Voss, who, by the way, has tried to suck up to and appease Trump actually in my newsletter, posted a picture of him on the plane with Trump clearly trying to suck up. It didn't work because that never works. So Trump has now endorsed this other guy, this far right Carrie Lake figure who is running saying, oh, I would decertify the 2020 election, which is legally impossible. And um, on top of that, I would support legislation that would ban all contraception in the state of Wisconsin. And so at the moment when Republicans, again, have the wind at their back, they keep embracing these candidates who aren't just outside of the mainstream. They can't see the mainstream with a telescope. And Donald Trump is coming in to Wisconsin and he is endorsing and pushing those crazies. You know what I'm getting at? I mean, I, it makes me wonder whether or not the conventional wisdom about this midterm needs to shift now a little bit.
1: Well, I think we're going to be able to do a full hour and have to do a full hour on this topic because I hear you. And it's the big question of the fall. And so um, I don't, I'm in St. Did I mention I'm in St. Louis next Thursday for a book thing? So uh, TBD, I have to look at my calendar. I'm not sure if I actually will be able to do Tim and Charlie Friday next week, but I will be back. And if if not that, two weeks from now, we can just do a full hour on the crazy, I guess, unless Joe Biden has another great two weeks and we have to to talk about that at the top. Okay, so Kansas, talk to me about
0: Kansas and what message you take out of that.
1: I don't think that we can over read ballot initiatives too much, right? I think that there's obviously something to be said for engagement among the Democrats uh, and the fact that the, the, turnout was high. I think that is a good sign off that off your turnout might be engaged by this. And I think that there's another sign that the Republicans can overstep, you know, the, the, that, that, uh, you know, some of the concerns about complete bans, I, you know, my sense is if you're in Kansas, you're looking next door at Missouri and seeing what they're doing with, with like essentially total bans on abortion, like, like minimal on exceptions or, or op- or opportunity, you, 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 start to be like, wow, okay, now that's too far. Like that's too extreme for Kansas. Kansas has a long history of, of this kind of, of being a red state, but, but overthrowing the more extreme parts of the party so i think that those are the two things i think to overread this and say oh man now it's going to be a democratic wave year democrats are going to do great you know or beto might win in texas because of this was a question i got last Uh, night i you know i i just i I wouldn't overstate all this Uh, you know there is a long history also of like that you know look at the year DeSantis won in florida for example Minimum wage increase got 60% of the vote, right? So, you know, voters are more complicated than you think. You know, there are people that might be Republicans, uh, obviously there were, in Kansas, who are Republicans, who thought, okay, I'm a Republican, I'm generally pro-life, but, I, but boy, like some well, of this stuff is this- going too far, so on a ballot initial, level, I'll vote this way, but I'm not going to vote for a Democrat for set for house or whatever. I, so, you know, people are more complicated than than I think they get caricatured. And so I, I think it's a good sign for Democrats, but I would be a little more tempered than some of the talk I've heard.
0: Okay. I, I agree with all that. But having said all that, I, I think that the, the lessons of the election are awfully interesting. I mean, clearly one of the big questions was, would abortion be enough to motivate Democrats to come out in big numbers? The answer is yes. Would Republicans line up behind the more extreme pro-life position? The answer is no. So you have Democrats who are engaged. You have Republicans who are divided. And as I wrote in my newsletter yesterday, and Lordy, uh, there are swing voters. I guess I was really struck by the messaging by the pro-choice folks, uh, they didn't just simply scratch their ideological id. They didn't go through the talking points that you and I hear on cable news all the time. They didn't talk about Christo fascists or the oppression uh, of women. They actually spoke to Kansans where they were. That's a great uh, they, point. They, they spoke to conservatives, uh, centrists, even pro-lifers, and they dealt with the issue with respect. They also were able to co-opt Certain libertarian themes about you know this is a government mandate, government pro you know government uh, regulation uh, this is a violation of your personal privacy and i I have a thought that is not fully developed here, but I wanted to bounce it off you. I wonder whether or not the last couple of years where conservatives and people on the right, kept pounding away on medical privacy, and it's my body, my choice, and the government shouldn't tell me what to do, and the government shouldn't tell me to get a vax, the government shouldn't tell me to get a mask, whether that softened up the environment for folks as they did in Kansas to come in saying, you know, remember what you've been saying about all of this, this applies times 10 to the issue of a woman's right to choose because they were able to actually turn some of that rhetoric around. You don't want the government telling you what to do with your body. Well, neither do we. Let's apply this. And so when people are looking at how did a conservative state vote, you know, 60, 40 for the pro-abortion, I mean, for the abortion rights position, in part, I wonder whether or not the right has kind of softened up uh this particular issue do you do you follow what i'm, yeah, I'm saying I mean, here I, because I, and i think they very skillfully kind of turned that rhetoric around on them
1: i think the first part of your point is it was a better take than mine and so you win the take battle on kansas mm-hmm. exactly right the fact that the 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 messaging campaign reaching out to gettable republicans and speaking to them about the and with these sorts of themes mm-hmm. was spot on did the Republicans soften the ground for this? Maybe I don't know. I, I think that there is an ad campaign, though, that could play on those themes that might work. You know, one example was a story I was reading. I think this was in Missouri, in the neighboring state. Is is you know the, the the proposal is such so extreme that a doctor who has to do a medical procedure on a woman, like a health of the mother procedure on a pregnant woman, like would have to basically get approved, you know, by some board. Right, And so I like this notion that bureaucrats should be having death panels over pregnant women, to use another theme uh, that Republicans have used in the past, uh, I think is pretty anathema to a lot of voters. I think that there's a handful of 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 voters who are motivated by spite on this and that won't be motivated by that. Um, But uh, but I think that there are gettable Republicans who look at that, and that makes them very uncomfortable, no matter what their position is on abortion. And the fact that this is already happening and that there there will be tangible examples of that that can be used in ads, I think absolutely is powerful. And the one other change, while uh, I I would say addendum to my initial take on this is, is I I do think that the Democrats are going to look at this and see it as a more of an offensive issue. And if they do it well with the advertising yeah, right. and the way that they did it in Kansas, and not if they don't do it well, like, you know, when Beto was like, we're going to come take your guns, don't do the abortion version of that. Right, right. If they do it well, I do think it can be an offensive issue for Democrats. And 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 I think that is good. I, I think the Democrats, I think, have been a little bit late to the game in realizing that there are some culture warish fights that they can actually be on offense on politically Um, uh, and, and that, that a lot of times they've they've been kind of hesitant to do. Uh, and so I think this is one example of that.
0: Yeah. And I just hope that they download all of those ads and I actually put them in my newsletter because I think it's a masterclass in how to appeal to those swing voters. And you and I both know that there, there's a group of folks out there that, that just simply don't believe that anyone is persuadable. Um, they just simply yeah. believe that everything is tribal, that all you need to do is appeal to your base. And there's no point in reaching across to those folks. You know, if you're a Trump voter, we don't care. You are all evil. And you are seeing though some movement. I mean, I you know John Fetterman in, in Pennsylvania appears to be getting 17% of Trump voters are voting for this very progressive democratic candidate for Senate. There are ways of getting these folks in Kansas. You had the abortion rights position winning in counties that voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump. So I know that there are some people who are tempted to write off those people, but that would be a huge mistake.
1: Couldn't agree more. Just a enthusiastic agreement. Okay. Take us into the weekend, Charlie.
0: Then let's end on that point. Have a great weekend, Tim, and enjoy Aspen.
1: I'm going to. We'll see you all on the road next week.
0: All right. Thank you all for listening to this weekend's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back on Monday. Well, Amanda Carpenter and Will Salatan will be back. I will be back on Tuesday. Have a great weekend.